Feast Week is officially in full swing. Last weekend, we got a bit of the appetizer. Essentially, we got the corn. We got some other stuff. But this week, in terms of Feast Week, we're getting the turkey. And I'll talk about what turkeys you got to be looking out for here on this brand new episode of the Igloo. So Big East Men's Basketball, I wanted to make sure I recorded this once the newly updated AP Top 25 poll came out. And on a more important side, because of the matchup actually going on right during the middle of recording right now, Number one, South Carolina is taking on number two, UConn on the women's side in the championship game of the Battle for Atlantis. And they're going to update that AP poll tomorrow because of that. But what we do know, we have the men's basketball AP top 25. And going into last week, the Biggies had only two teams in the top 25. Today, that number doubled to four. Villanova fell to number 7 as they lost in the final of the Hall of Fame tip-off classic in Uncasville, Connecticut. They lost to Purdue, which I'll talk more about that in depth. Seen Hall, because of their big win at Michigan, they check into the poll at number 21. I mean, why Michigan is still ahead of them at number 20 is beyond me, but whatever. UConn moved up one spot to number 22 and now checking into the poll at number 25 thanks to two wins over Ohio State, who is then number 19 in the country, and then Norfolk State. Xavier's into the top 25 in that final spot at number 25. So how did we get here? And also worth noting, Marquette, they receive votes. They are now technically 32nd in the country, as they got 41 votes in this poll because of their upset win over Illinois and also reaching the championship game of the Charleston Classic before losing to the team that's now ranked 16th in the country in that St. Bonaventure. Now, I definitely don't want to get caught on a tangent here, but... So, uh, now, but, and you know what's really funny? Now I'm having all this time, like, my thoughts are jumbling because I'm like, did I talk about this on the last episode? Did I not? I know I talked about Providence. I thought I was going to lead with them quick, but I remembered I talked about them last time out. So let's start with the Charleston Classic, shall we? Marquette against Ole Miss. Just like earlier in the week on Monday, Marquette let their opponent get out to a double-digit lead. But Marquette shook it off, and they won 78-72. They got off to a slow start in the first half. 47 points in the second half to win. Again, 78-72. And, again, it was Daryl Morsell. What an impact this guy's made coming in from Maryland. 22 points, which was a game high. 5 for 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from distance. So he only took 10 shots from the field. He took 10 free throws and went 9 for 10. Justin Lewis was brilliant as well. 21 points, 9 boards, 5 of 8 from 3, 6 of 13 from the floor. 
Marquette as a team shot 40.6% from the floor, uh, from three, excuse me, and then 42.9% from the floor as a whole. Ole Miss actually shot better at 46.8%. However, they only made eight three-pointers compared to Marquette's 13. And it also helps that Ole Miss only shot 40% from the line at six for 15. So really for Marquette, I mean, they got more than half the scoring for Morcell and Lewis. And how about 18 off the bench from the freshman Cam Jones? Took a lot of shots, but still, 18 points. That's the kind of production you want to get from your freshman. And it's great that Marquette was able to win this game despite, you know, off nights from from Tyler Kolek only at three points. And six from Kirk Queth, who didn't block a shot either. Actually, no, I was looking at the wrong line. He had four blocks. <laughs> Meanwhile, for Ole Miss, they got a lot of balance. I mean, they got 13 points each from Jarkel Joyner and Nysir Brooks and 11 from Jamin Brakefield. And they also got, you know, some, I mean, again, balance scoring effort by Marquette because of those two big individual performances from Marcel and Lewis. They win their first game in Charleston. And it looked like they were going to lose on Friday against West Virginia. You know, Marquette, off, Marquette got off to a good start, but West Virginia blew it wide open. And they led by, guess what, as many as 13 in this game. But Marquette, thanks to good defense and just a monster run in the second half. So... Let's just backtrack because West Virginia got their biggest lead at 50 to 37 in the second half. From that point on, Marquette outscored them 45 to 21. The way Marquette locked in on defense and was able to get stop after stop and then capitalize on that and continue to score. It was 54-42, and they went on a 13-0 run to take the lead, and it sounded like that crowd in Charleston sounded like it was in Milwaukee. And funny thing is, you know, the teams exchanged, you know, blows for a little bit, and then once Marquette took a 63-60 lead on a Cam Jones 3, that point it was a wrap. As Marquette doubled up West Virginia from that point on, after it was tied at 60 22 to 11, and Tyler Kolick, definitely the MVP for the Golden Golden Eagles. 18 points, six boards, eight assists, seven of 12 from the field, four of eight from three, 17 from Justin Lewis on three of seven from three, seven of 15 from the floor, 11, only 11 from Daryl Morcel, but he was perfect from the line at five for five. Cam Jones. If anyone's going to be the major impact transfer for this team, impact freshman for this team, I should say, it's going to be Cam Jones. 12 to 6, no, 12 points from in 19 minutes. I don't know why I'm fumbling all over my words. It's like I'm Butterfingers. But anyways, 4 for 8 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3 for Jones in 19 minutes. Greg Elliott in his first action of the year only played 12 minutes, just one point. But, I mean, first game back and he came off the bench, you know. You want him to do better, but you can't really blame him for having that kind of performance. And Marquette, 52.6% from the floor, 12, 
12 of 26 from three, good for just under 50%. And they also held West Virginia under 40% from three and just a little over 40% from the field, 42.2 to be exact. Tash Sherman led all scorers with 21 for the Mountaineers. They got 12 from Sean McNeil, the senior, and then 11 from Jalen Bridges. But the Mountaineers, they just couldn't get the kind of bench contributions that Marquette got. They got 20 points from the bench. West Virginia got 17 from the bench. And their leading scorer off the bench was only 6 from Malik Curry. Pauly Polycap, yeah, former DePaul Blue Demon Pauly Polycap, only played six minutes and scored two points. So that bumped Marquette up to 5-0. and And, you know, that led them into a championship game against St. Bonaventure, as I mentioned. And St. Bonaventure just looked like Marquette was just outmatching this game. St. Bonaventure got on a big run and they led by as many as 27 in this game. And I'm trying to find out where that the biggest lead of the game was. It was after Osun Osunii got a big dunk to make it 63-36 and proceeded to get teed up for a stare down. Hey, spoiler alert, it's not that the refs aren't letting, trying to let you have fun. There's a difference between you know, enjoying the moment and showing up the other team. Staring someone down is showing up the other team. And I would say the same thing if Marquette did that. You know, so at least Marquette finished the game on a better note. They outscored St. Bonaventure from that point on 18-7. to But again, St. Bonaventure... Cruise to a victory here, led by 19 from Jaron Holmes. And all their starters, with the exception of Dominic Welch, looked really good in this game. Osani, a New Jersey native, 16 points to go with 11 rebounds. 14 from Jalen Attaway. And twelve, only 12 from their leading scorer, Kyle Lofton. I mean, the weird thing is, you know, these guys played so many minutes, and it was kind of weird that their head coach, uh, Mark Schmidt, didn't take any of them out until like maybe like two minutes left. And the weird thing is, St. Bonaventure only shot 11.8% from three. Inside the three-point line, they were 20 for 26 for 42. Marquette just didn't shoot the rock well in this game. 30.4% from the field, just 22.2% from three. You know, they still lost by 16 despite being plus 12 from behind the arc. And also didn't help, you know, they didn't really shoot free throws well, just 14 for 24. And the guy who led the way was Justin Lewis. 17 points, 11 rebounds. But, you know, he'd be the first to say he didn't have a good night. 33 minutes, 6 of 13 from the field, just 1 of 6 for 3. He was the only Marquette starter to hit a 3. Off the bench... David Joplin, a freshman, hit two of them, finished three for nine from the floor, and had 10 points in 18 minutes. Cam Jones, a significant drop-off, just four points on the night. One for six from three, one of seven from the floor. 
Stevie Mitchell with two points, just three points from Greg Elliott in 10 minutes. As the Bonnies, yeah, they cruise to the Charleston Classic title again with a big 16-point win. Before I move on to other Feast Week action, Georgetown defeated Siena at home, 83-65. You know, Siena hung tough for most of the game, but Georgetown, you know, they got out to a, you know, once they got on their run to make it 18 with about 15 minutes left, Actually, no, 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 no. Georgetown, their biggest lead, they got up to 21 with about seven and a half to play. And they win 83-65. Good win to get them to 2-1 and one over Siena. And getting in the starting spot, Caden Rice, the senior, and transfer from the Citadel. Led the way with a game-high 23 points and was 7 of 10 from 3. 8 of 11 from the field. You know what that stat line kind of resembles? One of one that you would usually see from a guy like Javon Blair. Yeah, I'm going there. Meanwhile, Donald Carey against his former team. He had 20 points, 7 of 9 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Georgetown shot lights out from distance, 12 of 18. Meaning they were making 2 out of every 3. And they were 57% from the floor. Incredible numbers. And they held Sienna to just under 40% from the field and under 30% from three. And really, it was a one-man show for Sienna as they were led by 25 from Jackson Stormo, who was 10 of 13 from the field and only made took one three-pointer, but he made it and finished with 11 rebounds. You know, they got 12 off the bench from Andrew Playtech. Yeah, North Carolina transfer Andrew Playtech. It's kind of wild. You know, I knew that name. I was watching the game. I knew that name sounded familiar. But then once I put two and two together, I'm like, oh, okay. And then only one other Saint double figures. That was Colby Rogers with 11. Meanwhile, for Georgetown, by the way, you know, they had 14 from Dante Harris, who was perfect from three at two for two and five for seven from the floor. And only 11 from Aminu Muhammad. But again, he struggled shooting the rock. He was just 2 for 10 from the floor. 7 boards. And off the bench, you know, they got some good contributions. They got 15 points on the bench. 4 each from Tyler Beard and Jordan Riley. 3 from Malcolm Wilson. And then 2 each from Jalen Billingsley and Ryan Matumbo. So Georgetown, 2-1. and one. Pretty good spot to be in as they get ready for a Feast Week tournament out on the West Coast this week. I'll touch on the Paradise Jam, you know, later on. Actually, no, no, screw it. I'll just talk about it now. I know Creighton, they play Southern Illinois today at 545, former Missouri Valley rival. That's in the third place game. So how did they get here? Well, they started off by whacking Brown 78-57. They got out to a 17-point halftime lead. And Creighton played well on both sides of the floor, and all five starters were double figures. Shot the ball well from the field at nearly 56%. Didn't really need the three either. They took just 14 threes and made five of them. 
And Ryan Kalkbrenner, that's the kind of game you're going to want from him. And his stat line, 19 points, 5 boards, 9 of 13 from the field. Meanwhile, Ryan Hawkins with 15, 13 and 5 boards from Arthur Kaluma, 13 from Alex O'Connell, although, actually no, he didn't really need a lot of shot attempts. It was 6 of 9 from the floor, nice. Missed his only 3-point attempt, 5 boards, 4 assists. Ryan Nemhart, a pretty well-balanced game for him. 10 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. 4 of 8 from the field, 2 of 3 from distance. And they really didn't need much from the bench. Keyshawn Fizel with 4 points. And then 2 each from Trey Alexander and Sharif Mitchell. Meanwhile for Brown, their leading scorer came off the bench, and that was Keno Lilly Jr. And the only starter in double figures was Paxson Woshik with 10 points. So Creighton, they dominated a team that nearly beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Again, final score is 78-57. And then on Sunday, they just didn't have it against Colorado State. And Colorado State's really good. And the reason why they're so good is because they have a guy like David Roddy, who's averaging nearly 24 points a game in his first five games this year. In this game, he dropped 36 on 13 of 20 shooting and 7 for 10 from 3. Oh, and also helps, you know, in this shootout, they got 21 from Deshaun Thomas and 17 from Isaiah Stevens. And in a game that Creighton, this is a pace that, you know, you see Creighton doing more because of how much they like to run the floor, space it out, shoot. Colorado State won 95-81 in this game. And for Creighton, you know, they got balanced scoring from the starters. Arthur Kaluma had really struggled for most of the season up until that point. Well, other than his 15-point outburst against Arkansas Pine Bluff, he'd been really quiet against Kennesaw State and Nebraska. But, you know, he bounced back with that 13-point effort against Brown, and he leads Creighton with 16 against Colorado State. 7-12 from the field, 2-4 from 3. You got 13 from Ryan Hawkins, who's been quietly a very good addition to this team. Kalkbrenner with 13 on 5 of 6 shooting. And Ryan Nemhard, 15 points, 4 boards, 5 of 6 assists. 6 of 11 from the floor, 1 for 3 from 3. Alex O'Connell didn't really shoot the ball well at just 1 for 6 from 3 and 4 for 13 from the floor. 9 points, 6 boards, 3 assists. Noble bench contribution, they got 8 from Keyshawn Fizel. And four from Trey Alexander, but the other bench guys that they usually go to, they didn't really get much from. Although they did get a three from from Roddy Androna Kashvili, who's from the same town as Sandro Mamukelashvili. So Creighton, they lose that game, and they got the third place game coming up in the Paradise Jam. Later today against Southern Illinois, a game they should win. And they'll come back home on Saturday to face SIU Edwardsville. Before they get underway in, you know, to end November against North Dakota State. And then, you know, they got the Big East Big 12 battle on December 4th. Other action... Around the Big East, UConn, 
took care of business against Binghamton 87-63, although they they were favored by 32, so congrats to Binghamton on the cover. And Danny Hurley even said, you know, we didn't play great today. You know, considering this is their last game before they head to the Battle for Atlantis. Yeah, I, I understand why Danny Hurley will want something better. You know, he said they looked flat, they didn't look engaged. I I totally understand where he's coming from. But, I mean, if there's any positives to take from this, Tyrese Martin, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists as well, and was 5 for 10 from the field. Adama Sanogo continued his dominance, 12 points on 6 of 11 shooting, 5 rebounds, and he also blocked 2 shots. Andre Jackson, 3 for 6 from the field, 9 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and he also had a highlight putback dunk. In the first half, Isaiah Whaley, six points, 10 boards, blocked a couple shots as well, but was just one of seven from the field in 17 minutes. RJ Cole really struggled, two of nine from the floor, just four points, three assists missed, all, th- all four three point attempts he took in 25 minutes. However, a lot of positive takes from the bench. The freshman Jordan Hawkins with 11, 10 from Tyler Polly, and a cook a cook was perfect off the bench. 15 minutes, 3 for 3 from the floor, and 2 for 2 from 3. Jalen Gaffney with 8 points, 2 of 5 from the field, 1 for 1 from 3. You know, UConn with just under 50% from the floor, and right around 47% from 3. They also held Binghamton to just 37.5% from the floor, and just 31.6% from behind the arc. And the guy who led the Binghamton Bearcats was a guy who I know a little bit about because he's from Cooperstown, an hour from where I live, and that's Tyler Bertram. The junior and transfer from USC Charlotte finished with 15 points, which is tied for the game high. 3 for 6 from 3, 5 of 10 from the floor. They got 12 from... I'm not even gonna, I don't even know if I should try to pronounce this, but... Ogunyole Akwovo, Akwovo, Akwovo. There we go. I know if I tried hard enough, I'd get it. Also, St. John's transfer, Jonathan McGriff with eight points, five assists as well. And then they really, I mean, yeah, I know you got seven from a junior from Iceland, Hakan Hjalmarsson. Probably should have coughed up some phlegm in pronouncing that, but... And then Kellen Amos with five points. But also, something I want to worth note, something worth noting in this Colorado State Crane game, by the way, both teams were lights out from the field, except for Creighton, you know, for the three-point range, they weren't all that great, but both teams were well over 50%. Colorado State shot 53%. Creighton shot 55%, but the difference is... Colorado State, the fact that I omitted this, I'll take the fall for that because I messed up. But Colorado State knocked down 23s in this game. 20. Compared to just 7 for Creighton. So Colorado State was plus 39 from 3. Take that out of the equation. Colorado State's minus minus 25. Anyways, other non-con action that was kind of insignificant in most respects. 
St. John's only beat FDU by 13. 87-74. They got to a 13-point halftime lead. And it stayed at 13 at the end of the game. All five Red Storm starters were in double figures. 17 each from Posh Alexander and Julian Champagny. Champagny, that, he, had a, he got a double-double in this game. 10 rebounds to go with his 17 points. Just 1 of 7 from 3. 6 of 19 from the field. So not really a great night shooting the rock. But hey, double-double still looks good in the books. As for Posh Alexander, 5 of 9 from the field. 7 rebounds, 4 assists. 14 from Steph Smith. 3 for 11 from the field. And, you know, like most of the Red Storm, they, he struggled shooting the rock from behind the arc at 0 for 5. Montez Mathis went 1 for 3 from 3. 13 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. Joel Soriano, 12 points on 5 of 6 shooting. But the bench contributions, they got much better in this game. 8 points in 14 minutes from Aaron Wheeler. And 6 points in 24 minutes. And 5 assists also from Dylan Adaiwusu. Again, they didn't look great. Again, they only shot 5 of 22 from 3, which is only good for 22.7%. However, 30 for 65 from the field is pretty good. FDU, what kept them in the game was 3-point shooting. They went 10 of 20, good for an even 50%. And they were led by a monster game from Devon Dunn, from Devin Dunn, I should say. 24 points, 6 of 8 from 3, 8 of 10 from the field, 3 rebounds and 3 assists. And 14 from Brandon Rush. Seven rebounds and a couple assists for him as well. Just two for seven from three. Five of 17 from the floor. Other notable contributions. They got 10 off the bench from Joe Munden Jr. And eight from Ibrahim Watara. And the only other major contributor on offense from the starters was John Square Jr. with nine points. So St. John's bounce back win, although they, they they'll even admit they should have played better. But a win's a win. You're three and one. You gotta like where you're at. As for DePaul, they stayed unbeaten, although it, it came with some difficulty, and they needed a big late game surge after going down sixty one fifty seven. DePaul went on a 14-0 run to go up double digits, and they stave off, also undefeated, Western Illinois, 84-80. And guess who it was leading the way? Javon Freeman-Liberty, who played all 40 minutes, 33 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists. Was also perfect from 3 at 2 for 2, which you know is great because of the fact that his the rest of his team was awful from 3 at just one for nine outside of him. He was also 11 for 21 from the field, which is over 50%. Career night from a guy who definitely should be strongly considered for an all-Big East selection this year. They only played seven in this game, the Blue Demons did, by the way. Yor, Yor and I had about foul trouble. It only played seven minutes didn't score, picked up three fouls. And Quavizier McCauley, four points, four boards, and two assists in 29 minutes. Other big contributions from the starters, Brandon Johnson and Nick Ongenda, each with 15. And they combined for 13 rebounds as well. And Ongenda blocked three shots too. 
David Jones kind of came back down to earth after that monster game against Rutgers. Just 12 points and 6 rebounds on 3 of 7 shooting, 0 for 1 from 3. As for Western Illinois, they used the 3-point shot to keep them in the game. They were 9 for 31 from behind the arc. is not a great percentage, but the fact that they made 9 of them kept them in the game. Guy who led the way for the Leathernecks was Luka Barisic from Croatia with 21 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. And then their leading scorer coming into the game, Will Karius, the senior, was just 16 points. Struggled from the field, just 2 of 10 from 3, and 6 for 16 from the field. They also got 16 points from Colton Sandage, who was just 3 for 11 from 3 and 5, five for 14 from the floor and fouled out. And another 16 from Trenton Massner. And then 7 from Tamel Pearson to go along with 10 rebounds. And they only got 4 points from the bench while playing a pretty short rotation, only 8 players. And then on Sunday, you know, Xavier, they beat Norfolk State 88-48. A big 40-point win for a Norfolk State team that, by the way, was lighting it up offensively the first five games to come into that game undefeated. And for Xavier to hold them to just 48, that's impressive. And let's call this the Adam Kunkel game, I guess. 26 off the bench for Kunkel, 9 for 12 from the field, 8 of 10 from 3. And they also out-rebounded Norfolk State 51-37. They got 20 from Nate Johnson, who was 4 for 8 from 3 and 8 for 13 from the floor. Xavier was just really good shooting the ball at 54% and 45% from 3, mind you. They they also held Norfolk State to just 27% from the field and just 13% from 3. Only one Spartan was in double figure, and that was Christian Ings with 12. Joe Bryant Jr., the leading scorer, only had six points. It was just two for 15 from the field. One of five from three. Off the bench, the leading scorer was Dana Tate with seven. They got five each from Chris Ford and Kaheem Brown. But other notable contributions from Xavier. Double-double for Colby Jones. Ten points, 13 rebounds. Paul Scruggs only needed to play 15 minutes. Yeah, he battled foul trouble. But, I mean, it was a blowout. So, I mean, you didn't really have to play him that much. Nine points, four boards, three assists. Shot it well. Three for four from the field and two of three from three. And then off the bench, Jack Nungy was great again. Two for two from the field. Seven points, five rebounds in 16 minutes. Dwan Odom had four off the bench in 27 minutes. Ben Stanley in his first action of the year. You know, coming off that gruesome knee injury against Seton Hall last year. Actually, no, it was against St. John's, I believe. So his first game action, 17 minutes, 5 points, and 5 boards. So Ben Stanley, welcome back, my man. So Xavier, big win by 40 in this game. So last but not least... The marquee event was the Hall of Fame tip-off involving four ranked teams highlighted by 5th-ranked Villanova. They started the tournament with a dominant win over 17th-ranked Tennessee, 71-53. And 
The story of this game was balance and great defense. They held Tennessee to just 15 first-half points and led by 20 at the break and led by as many as 25. The balance scoring, again, was incredible. 14 points each from three different players. Jermaine Samuels, who also had 11 rebounds. Colin Gillespie had 14 on... 3 of 10 shooting, just 2 for 7 from 3. Not really a great day shooting for Gillespie, but still, 14, nothing to sneeze at. And Brandon Slater with 14 points on on 5 of 8 shooting, just 1 of 3 from 3. 3 rebounds as well. And they got 13 from Justin Moore, 7 boards and 6 assists for him. But again, you know, some guys had bad shooting nights. Moore, Moore didn't have a good night. 5 for 18 from the field, just 1 of 5 from 3. You know, they didn't... On most other nights when they would play a team like Tennessee, they'd probably lose. But thankfully, Tennessee was just awful shooting the ball. And Villanova, credit to them, they also defended well. They held them to just 33% from the floor, just under 18% from three. Villanova, not really great shooting numbers. 37% from the floor, 33% from behind the arc. You know, they also got six from Eric Dixon with five rebounds. Seven from Caleb Daniels and three from Chris Archidiacono. And for Tennessee, it was really a one-man attack, and it was led by Santiago Vescovi from Uruguay. 23 points, six rebounds. Four for 12 from three, seven of 17 from the floor. The rest of his team outside of him was pretty bad because other than Vescovi, the rest of the team was one for 16 from three and just 12 for 40 from the floor. John Fulkerson was limited, four points, four rebounds, two for two from the field in 22 minutes. They only got six from their standout freshman, Kennedy Chandler. And their leading scorer off the bench was Zakai Ziegler with seven. And he only played seven minutes. So Villanova, they got that dominant win. And then on Sunday, in a potential Final Four preview, Villanova... Looked like they were going to run away with this game like they had kind of not just a week ago against UCLA. Now, Villanova led 54-43 with about 9.52, with 9.52 to play. Purdue from that point out scores them 37-20. And what can we attribute this loss to for Villanova? Lack of depth. Just like UCLA. They got 19 from Justin Moore to lead the way. 7 of 15 from the field. 3 of 7 from 3. 14 from Gillespie, although 4 for 8 from 3, good numbers. But it was just 4 for 12 from the field. Didn't make a single shot inside the arc. You know, he got a couple free throws, but that's it. Brandon Slater and Jermaine Samuels each tallied 10. And Caleb Daniels off the bench was huge. 17 points, 6 of 9 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. However, Villanova only played really 6 guys. Because Chris Argidiakno, the only other bench player that Jay Wright used, only played 5 minutes. And Caleb Daniels played 20. So he had 4 players that played 35 plus minutes. Eric Dixon played only 24 minutes. Meanwhile... Purdue got more from their bench and also helped when you have a guy who's a 7-4 monster from Canada 
who dominated. 21 re- Zach Eady with 21 points and 6 rebounds. 9 for 12 from the field also. And was perfect from the free throw line at 3 for 3. Other notable contributions, they got 12 from Isaiah Thompson, who was 4 for 5 from 3, the only shots he took. Sasha Stefanovic really wasn't that great either. 10 points, 6 assists, 3 for 10 from the field, 2 for 7 from 3. You know, not great shooting numbers, but as a team, Purdue was really good. Over 50% from the field at 29 for 55, and then 10 for 23 from 3 is over 40%. So those are good numbers. Then they got, you know, 12 from the freshman Caleb First, who was perfect from the field at 5 for 5, made his only three-point attempt as well. And then, you know, Jaden Ivey, a player that, you know, is supposed to be the star of this team, well-rounded game, 10.7 boards, 7 assists, but, you know, didn't really shoot well, 3 for 9, but he did go 2 for 4 from 3. And then off the bench, the big contribution they got in 20 minutes, 9 points, from Trevion Williams, the senior, to go with four boards and a couple assists. And then they also got, you know, three from Brandon Newman and another three from Eric Hunter Jr. So Purdue, they beat Villanova, exposing their lack of depth. Villanova just looked tired towards the end. And guess what happened? Purdue capitalized and they go on this big run after Villanova went up 11 to win the game. So Villanova, that's already their second loss of the year. And despite that, they're only number seven in the country. So, okay. You know, they have a pretty laid-back week coming up because they don't play until Sunday when they visit LaSalle for a Big Five matchup. Now, Let's talk about what's going to happen in other major Feast Week tournaments. Arguably the biggest one, Fort Myers tip-off. Two ranked teams are going to be there, including 21st-ranked Seton Hall. They open up against Ohio State tonight at 6 on FS1. Ohio State coming off that loss to Xavier on Thursday. Seton Hall is favored in this game, which kind of bewildering to me. But also worth noting, no justice suing in this tournament. And for longer than that, for the Buckeyes. So that could favor Seton Hall because suing gives them some help. Not only depth-wise, but in the front court. You know, this is a 6-7 forward. I think Seton Hall should expose that, and I think they will beat Ohio State. Now the matter becomes, I mean, chances are they're going to face Florida. Florida's 23rd in the country. They're also undefeated. And here's the thing with the Gators. They're playing in Florida. And there's no way Florida's going to lose to Cal, period. If Seton Hall lose to Ohio State, it's not a bad loss. The big thing is, Seton Hall would have to play Cal. And Cal does nothing for your tournament resume. Nothing. Unless they 
pull a miraculous turnaround. But Seton Hall, you know, it's really funny. You know, they've played themselves into situations where they lost a game in a tournament, missed out on an opportunity to play an even better opponent. I talked about this like two years ago where they missed out on an opportunity to play Gonzaga at the Paradise at, at Battle for Atlantis in 2019. They lost to Oregon. And so instead they had to play Southern Miss. You know, could this be deja vu? I hope not. I think Seton Hall is going to have enough to win the game. And when they face Florida, I I think Florida might, I guess for the sake of being in Florida, I'm going to, I'm going to have to take the Gators winning over Seton Hall. I know it might be an unpopular opinion, but especially among other Seton Hall alumni, but I don't know. Considering it's in Fort Myers in Florida, I don't know. I just feel like the Gators are going to quote-unquote guard home court. Meanwhile, 4.30 Eastern ESPN2. I mean, the Maui Invitational, which is now in Las Vegas, which... Ugh. Butler's opening up against 12th-ranked Houston. That's not going to go well. Houston's going to beat them bad. I mean, if Michigan State crushed them at Hinkle by 21, I'm worried about what Houston's going to do to them on a neutral court. So chances are Butler's going to face Wisconsin in a consolation game after that on Tuesday, which I think Butler is going to... I want to say Butler's going to win, but Jonathan Davis is supposed to be back for Wisconsin. So I'm going to have to take Butler starting off 0-2, and then they'll they'll get a win against Chaminade to you know, at least go home with a W. I don't know. I'm just not big on Butler right now. And I don't know if I really have been. Meanwhile, you got the Legends Classic in Newark with Providence taking on Northwestern to start off. Providence should beat Northwestern. I mean, this is a revenge game from a couple years ago. Northwestern hosted them in the Gavit games at Welsh Ryan Arena. And Northwestern beat them. And that was a bad Northwestern team. And we all know Providence, that was one of many bad non-conference losses they had that season. Granted, they turned it all around in Big East play, but you know that was the first of an first loss of an ugly non-conference schedule for the Friars that year. Sorry if I have to remind you of that, Providence fans. I, I really am. <laughs> but Northwestern, you know, they're 4-0, but they played cupcakes. They played Eastern Illinois, High Point, New Orleans, and FDU. If you're Providence, you got to win this game. So they'll face either Georgia or Virginia, most likely in the championship game. And my guess is they'll play Virginia for the title. And Virginia's 2-2 two and two right now, which includes a loss to Houston. And to Navy. And you know what? I'm just going to come out and say it right now. I think Providence wins in, wins in the Legends Classic. I think Providence comes away... With the Legend Classic title, they beat Northwestern. And then I got them beating Virginia. I really believe it. So that second game, I believe is... I believe it's a back-to-back, so I believe they play Tuesday. So that initial game is at 9.30 on ESPN+. Plus. That Butler-Houston game is at 4.30 on the Deuce ESPN2 today. 
Meanwhile, another blockbuster tournament, the Battle for Atlantis. 22nd ranked UConn takes on 19th ranked Auburn to open it up on ESPN at 2.30 on Wednesday. Kind of flabbergasted as to why Auburn was ranked so high. I think UConn's clearly the better team. And I got UConn beating Auburn, and then most likely they'll face Michigan State in a semifinal game there on Thanksgiving Day, which UConn will win against Michigan State. Which will set them up in the title game on Black Friday against Baylor. The defending national champs. Great game to have in your resume. Does UConn win it though? I, I, I can't. They absolutely have the talent to do it. But will they do it? You know, I'm hesitant and I don't believe they will. Although it will be a close game. I say Baylor ekes it out and wins the battle for Atlantis by beating UConn in the title game, which will be their first loss of the year. Now, NIT season tip-off. At Barclays Center. Xavier now into the top 25, taking on an undefeated Iowa State team. But Iowa State, they haven't really played anybody. They beat Kennesaw State. Alabama State, they crushed Grambling. Their only Power 5 win was against Oregon State. And Oregon State is not that good this year. This is not the same team that made the Elite 8 a year ago as a 12 seed. They're 1-4. That's not impressive now. I think this goes without saying. Xavier beats Iowa State. And they'll most likely get a top 10 Memphis team in the championship game of that tournament. And we all know about Memphis. Because, you know, they got a money base. They have a lot of talented freshmen. A lot of talented. It's a talented young team led by head coach Penny Hardaway. I think Xavier will lose that championship game on Black Friday in Brooklyn against Memphis. Which will be their first loss of the year. So, moving on to the Wooden Legacy. Georgetown is in, again, this Wooden Legacy in Anaheim. And they open up against San Diego State. I just don't see Georgetown winning. San Diego State is just that much better. Georgetown still has a lot of work to do. And they usually don't really put themselves in these kind of positions where they're playing in a tournament like this. So I think Georgetown loses that game. And most likely they'll draw St. Joe's in the consolation game. And the Hawks. They're 2-2. Two and two With only wins against Maryland Eastern Shore. And Mount St. Mary's. Since then they've lost to Drexel and Monmouth. At home. So, I'm assuming Georgetown's going to win at least one game there, and it will come against St. Joe's on Thanksgiving. Uh, on Black Friday, I should say. And then, you know, and then the Thanksgiving weekend, I mean, I mean, I, don't, I really don't have to say much about the other non-conference games. Like, St. John's is playing St. Francis, Brooklyn. Easy money for them. 
DePaul plays Northern Kentucky on Black Friday. Should be an easy win for the Blue Demons. Providence should beat St. Peter's on Saturday. As you know, continuing on with the rest of the Saturday games. By the way, St. Peter's. Don't be shocked if St. Peter's puts up a fight against Providence. And Providence has struggled in non-conference games at home so far this year. You know, they've eked out a couple games. I know against like. You know, New Hampshire, Sacred Heart. Although Sacred Heart, they pulled away to win. Oh, Fairfield, that's who I was thinking of. Another red team. And then, you know, St. John should beat NGIT pretty easily. Same with Creighton over SAU Edwardsville. Marquette over Northern Illinois, too. And then on Sunday, Seton Hall will come home to face Bethune-Cookman. Should be an easy win for Seton Hall. DePaul should whack Eastern Michigan. And then Villanova at LaSalle in a Big Five game. Villanova should win that game. Although I wouldn't be shocked if the Explorers put up a fight. So. You know, I'm shocked I really packed all that in in less than an hour. Because I'm covering a week's worth. That's a lot. Like, I just want to make sure I got it all covered. And then, you know, worry about everything, you know, cover it all, you know, on Monday. That's just that. I think that's at least the best plan of attack for me. So that is a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. I'm going to cover the women's side of things tomorrow because there's really only one game going on. It's big five game, and obviously South Carolina-UConn, I want to touch on that tomorrow. And then there's also Villanova-Penn tonight in Philly for a big five matchup. So I'll cover that. And then, of course, look forward to the rest of the week, which, you know, Seton Hall's in the Cancun Challenge. They're not going to be facing Iowa because of Iowa getting COVID. So they're getting USC now. So bit of a missed opportunity for seeing all the face a really great team in Iowa with a really great player in Caitlin Clark. But, you know, they'll try to go in there and try to get a couple W's. And then, you know, some of the other tournaments I know going on, or I believe there's some other tournaments going on. I'm trying to figure it out. Oh, yeah, you got the Women's Paradise Jam with, you know, DePaul playing a couple really high-profile games. You know, I'm going to preview all that on the next episode of the glue i'll have that out tomorrow so until next time this is timmy i signing off from the glue thanks for tuning in i hope y'all enjoyed your weekend and hey gear up get your forks and knives ready because you know you got turkey right in front of you with all these great feast week games coming up so gobble gobble and enjoy these games and if you're not going to tune in for the women's edition have a happy thanksgiving i'll catch y'all next time